Here's our series on aging in Portland. Retired or rewired? What it's like getting old in a youth-centered city. Are you up for that challenge? We'll bring you lots of views, but you'll have to answer this question for yourself. Is Portland a good place in which to grow old? Episode 10, Intergenerational Issues. This is the 10th in KBOO's series on what it's like to age in Portland. We call it Retired or Rewired. Today we're talking with Donna Butts of Generations United. She talks about the bookends generations, the youngest and the oldest, and how they benefit from meeting up. Donna began her career in Oregon as a youth worker with the Salem YWCA. Butts grew up in Oregon and graduated from Merrillhurst College. Generations United was founded about 30 years ago to really elevate the need to connect children, youth, and older adults uh, in intergenerational programs and policies and practices uh, to improve the, the health and well-being of, in communities and neighborhoods around the country and really forge an agenda that values people at every age and stage of their life. Do you think that older people are not valued properly in our society? Or? I have a tendency to think that the bookend generations, our oldest and our youngest, are not valued in the way that they could and should be. Because when you think about ageism, people oftentimes think about older people. But in fact, young, younger people are often discriminated against because of their age as well. So I always talk about the bookend generations that really hold our civil society together. That's what is our future, our past, and our present. Donna, you talk about intergenerational programs. What does that term mean, and what types of programs does it include? Intergenerational programs intentionally bring people of at least two different generations together, either for, it could be for arts and crafts, for theater, it could be in service to community, they might be involved in a recycling program or tutoring or mentoring another generation, uh, it could be any number of different programs, but they intentionally bring the two generations together, uh, they value the generations, they understand that the, it's a reciprocal relationship, that both generations benefit, and it's not really a multi-generational program, because you'll oftentimes hear about, a, a, say, a library or a museum where they have older and younger people that use the facility, but they never really come in contact with each other. The purpose of an intergenerational program is to really provide and facilitate that connection between generations. But uh, who cares? Why not let these generations go their own ways? What's the benefit that you're getting to? There are so many benefits when you bring generations together. There's benefits for the individuals, for families, and communities. For older adults, what we know is that they oftentimes have a larger social circle. They feel more optimistic. They feel like they have a purpose and a reason to get out of bed. They feel like they're needed. Um, they take better care of themselves, rely less on canes. Uh, again, are just more optimistic and positive in their outlook. For young people, whether it's a baby that has that comfort of being held by an older adult or a toddler or a teenager, um, they, again, have a reason, a purpose, a mission. But for children who have been in intergenerational child care, for example, 
um, they sh- they are more patient. They have greater soft skills. They're more likely to say thank you. They're more likely to look at people who are different than they are, and say that per- and, and ignore the fact that they're in a wheelchair or they have a disability, and say that person is my friend or could be my friend. Um, for communities, oftentimes if you can use a facility for multiple generations and for intergenerational. Uh, services and programs, you don't have to maintain separate senior centers, teen centers, community centers, rec centers. You can really build something and support something that is much stronger. Uh, and, and it helps communities because people of all ages feel like they're welcome residents, citizens, and neighbors. Well, it sounds like there's some economic value in the multiple uses of single facilities that are expensive and can only benefit what other economic values and impacts would this kind of activity have? We write that by using a facility to, to serve more than one generation. There was a cost study, a cost savings study done that showed that it takes um, less staff. Uh, it takes less of the sort of, you don't have to buy two copy machines, two of this, two of that, two of whatever, but you're sharing the resource. Um, and you can save on rent or on your construction costs. So there's that that cost savings. But we also know if you have somebody who's in a typical daycare or adult daycare uh, service position, oftentimes the turnover's high. And people who work in intergenerational centers report a higher satisfaction with their job. They may be able to take their children and put them in the child care or their parents and have them in the adult daycare center. So they, they feel more connected. They're more likely to, to stay there, which also helps because you're not having that staff turnover and constant, constant training. I would think an intergenerational program would be good for the health of some of the old folks that I run into. Definitely. When you talk with older adults who are around younger generations and who are, feel like they're serving or engaging with young, younger generations, they just are more optimistic. They're more likely to get out they feel more vibrant, but it also fulfills that need that we all have as we age to give back, to leave, to have something that we've left behind us, to know that there's a future that's going to continue even after we're gone. You talk about healthy intergenerational communities that are good places to grow up and grow old. What makes for a healthy intergenerational community? Intergenerational communities are communities that value and involve people of all ages. Um, Several of the ones that we've recognized around the country have an intergenerational coordinating council that looks at opportunities and issues and and how to involve people of all generations. Uh, They make sure that their outdoor space is accessible to older and younger people. They look at their community through an intergenerational solutions lens. Generations United has our programs of distinction designation, which is a, a competitive designation, and it's uh, judged by experts from around the country. It's sort of the good housekeeping seal for intergenerational practices. So there are several that we've recognized over the year, including in 2017, we recognized One Generation, which has been around for over 20 years in the L.A. area, and that's adult daycare with uh, child care for babies through about five years old. They have up to 10 planned intergenerational activities or interactions every day. Uh, they, it's just a part of their DNA to make sure that 
that children and older adults pass each other. They say hello, but they also engage in activities. Now, with OASIS Intergenerational Tutoring, that's a long-standing program based out of St. Louis, and it engages older adults uh, as tutors to children of all ages in their schools. Uh, again, that's a program that can be easily replicated and done well. But one of the reasons why OASIS has the designation is because they do take time to make sure that they orient the older adults, they provide support to the older adult tutors. They don't just throw the older adults or the young people together and expect them to mesh magically. Can you talk about Bessie's Hope in Denver, Colorado? Bessie's Hope has been around for quite some time, and Bessie's Hope, it's really one where younger people are serving older adults, so it might be high school service learning students, but they visit and engage with older residents uh, in a nursing home or an adult daycare center or a continuing care retirement community. And those young people may be taking um, the older adults' oral histories, helping to make sure that their stories aren't lost. They could be reading a play together. Uh, they could be uh, just interacting in terms of talking with each other, listening to each other. They involve young people who uh, have been, maybe had a little brush with the law or be at risk. We see that one of your partner programs and the partner for your 2019 conference here in Portland is a group called Bridge Meadows. Can you tell us what that organization is doing here? We are so excited to be bringing our international conference to Portland, Oregon for the first time, especially as an Oregonian. I'm thrilled. Uh, it's going to be in June 2019, and our partner is Bridge Meadows, which is an absolutely stellar uh, example of an intergenerational community. They uh, just opened their second facility in Beaverton, and they are a nationally recognized model. It is uh, designed for older adults. There's older adult apartments, and they live side by side with foster and adoptive families. And the older adults' job is to care about the children, to care about the families, and to be the grandparents for that community. And for them, the reward is that engagement, that feeling of being needed, that purpose in life that helps prolong and extend a healthy life for them. Bridge Meadows has its original community in North Portland's Portsmouth neighborhood. They have nine family homes and 27 apartments for elders I'm quoting, providing safe, affordable living to a diverse group of intergenerational residents. It's based on a model originally that was originally developed out of Rantoul, Illinois, uh, at a decommissioned uh, military housing. Um, and that was a very successful model. But I think the Bridge Meadows people um, under Dorinda Schubert's leadership have taken it to a, a, an even higher level. Uh, it, it's really stunning. I don't sense that uh, cities are necessarily involved in the form of, uh, from the viewpoint of their governments, in what we've been talking about, are they? It's a combination, but I think you're right in that I, it's more likely to be a group of concerned citizens, an organization, it could be a faith-based organization, it could be uh, another community-based organization, it could be a group that comes together and says, we want to re-envision our community or our neighborhood as one that welcomes people of all ages. Uh, there are some uh, municipalities 
that have integrated intergenerational language. They've made sure they have an intergenerational advisory council. They look at how their facilities are being used to make sure that they're used for uh, activities to bring generations together. Well, you're an Oregon girl. Portland seems so advanced in so many ways to me, and I wonder whether it could create, um, uh, position itself as a, as a place with a high intergenerational vision. Is that possible? Do cities do that? They do. They do. We've recognized about 27 different cities around the, the country, cities or counties, that have uh, really embraced inter- becoming intergenerational communities or counties. And Portland, we've always thought, has so many of the right things in place that it's just a, 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 it's like at a tipping point that with a l- little bit more intentional effort and, and uh, leadership and support from uh, from local leaders, uh, it really could be uh, Portland for all ages. Who would be the key people in your experience, that is, in a, in a generic sense? Would it be the mayor or the city council or the, the multi-faith group coordinator or what? Who? We've seen all those situations. Sometimes it's a university. Sometimes it's a large sun city or retirement community that realizes that they... Uh, it's not a healthy life to just live behind a gate. Uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it starts with a simple partnership between a school and a senior housing project or community project. Sometimes it's a mayor who comes into office and says, I want my city to be, uh, to be a city for all ages, to be an intergenerational community. As good as Portland is, sometimes I get the impression that young people don't care whether old people will stay here or not. <laughs> Isn't that possible? Isn't that something you encounter? Well, the, the shame is what you find is that if people haven't been around people of all ages, they have a tendency to not care so much about them. And that's one of the reasons why we feel like intergenerational practices and programs are so much more imperative today than they ever were. When you think about it, our country, our societies are aging, um, but that aging population is most likely to be white. Our younger population, we're very fortunate because we do have a younger population that's about the same size as our aging population, unlike a country like Japan or others where they haven't allowed immigration and they haven't really valued uh, making sure they have a younger population. We do have a younger population, but they look different than the older population. And if we are keeping generations from mixing and they don't look like each other, we're on a trajectory to really not care about investing in schools or supporting Social Security or supporting each other at all stages of our lives. You mentioned that you have a number of cities. I think you said 27 that are on your list of top places. Give us a couple of examples of them that we might want to research and emulate. One of the great examples when it comes to an intergenerational um, award winner is San Diego County. And San Diego County is huge. It has a very uh, diverse demographic, economically, uh, ethnically, in a number of different ways. And they embraced intergenerational uh, programming and solutions about 15 years ago. And they slowly built so that now they actually have five intergenerational coordinators on the county staff, they each one for each part of or each region in San Diego County. And their role is to really help to um, 
foster and develop the intergenerational practices in their in their region. So they have everything from intergenerational games that take place at the Olympic Training Center uh, to um, uh, a program where uh, foster youth work for the county government for uh, in, a, in a training program, and they have older adult mentors uh, to tutoring to home visit programs. That uh, they're just a rich hotbed of intergenerational practices. Another one that I, I really like to talk about is um, Georgetown, Texas, which is in a part of Texas that is known to usually vote down school ballots, uh, measures to invest in the school. They realized they had a growing Sun City, and so what they did was that the, the school district and the Sun City leaders uh, worked together to go outside of their usual boundaries. So the older adults are very engaged in the schools. The students are very engaged in the Sun City. They do spelling bees. They go to each other's games. They tend to gardens together. They're, they're very, very involved in each other's lives. So when the, the school ballot came up for, for vote, it was the only district in, tech, in that part of Texas that voted to support the schools. Donna Butts, Generations United, thanks for joining us on KBU today. Thanks for what you do. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed it. And we're looking forward to coming to Portland. And here's Pauline Berkey, who came to Portland from Southern California to run the Metro Home Share program. She is the program manager for the Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon program that's known as Metro Home Share. And we have we contacted Pauline because she has one aspect of her program that is especially relevant to older folks. Yeah, is that right, Pauline? That's right. Um, a lot of our clients, both homeowners and um, people looking to secure affordable rents, are seniors. And so our program works to connect seniors who have housing and extra room in their homes with people who are looking for affordable rents. Because of our housing crisis, most of those clients on both sides tend to be seniors. Oh, you mean the people renting the homes and the people who are moving into them? They're mm -hmm. both on the se senior category. Yeah, that's right. Intergenerational living tends to happen naturally in older home share program. So you might find a 60-year-old matched up with an 80-year-old, and that's what we're seeing as intergenerational living at this point. But I anticipate down the line we'll see um, that age gap kind of grow out because we're reaching more and more people. Do the people have to be of the same faith or? Um... No. There's no faith requirement. What we do is we build housing profiles on each client. Um, so for our home providers, we are looking at what, what do they want from a housemate? Uh, what are the things that they need help with around the home? How much are they asking for rent? You know, are they comfortable living with a smoker, non-smoker, pets, no pets? And we build this profile on both of our clients. Then our database matches those people, um, and then it's up to them to decide whether or not they want to live together. How do people um, get into your database? So after they fill out an application, we have um, we screen them. So we screen every applicant that comes uh, to our program, and then we do an intake. You say you screen them. Do you do a background check? Of we some do type? a background check. Uh, so we do criminal credit and rental history. Uh, that's on both sides, both the home provider and the home seeker. We also do a home visit for the home provider to go out to the home and make sure it is safe, make sure that there is a room uh, to rent. And uh, then we have references that we call. 
Do you charge a fee for this, Pauline? For people who um, make $41,000 or less for a household of one, they don't pay any program fees. For people who make above that, there are program fees. It costs us $1,200 to make a match, and that's on both the home provider and the home seeker side, so about $600 per person. And so for people who are above that $41,000, we work with them to pay those fees. But those are the only fees that are associated with the program. What's the typical rent? Do you have some idea? Could you give us a range, an idea of the range of rents that you're you're dealing with? Yeah, so I would say for our program in this very beginning stage, we're seeing four hundred and fifty to six hundred and fifty dollars is what people is are asking. We've uh, categorized each home provider into three different categories. We have category one, which are people who need help with things around the home. Uh, they need about. 20 hours or more of service and they're not asking for any rent they're asking for you know they're asking for yard work they're asking for transportation they're asking for grocery shopping or cooking and how would would the person who owns the home then evaluate whether or not that was acceptable right oh you forgot to take out the garbage again or to circumvent some of those problems that may occur when you're asking for service exchanges, um, we work with a team of mediators before the rental agreement is set. So as part of your rental agreement, you talk about the things that you're asking for. So for me, I might say yard work, but for you, Tom, what does that actually mean? Well, I mean mow the lawn, and you thought rake the leaves. We're going to have a conversation about that before we enter that housing arrangement. And so you bring in a mediator as yeah, part of your service. Yeah, that is part of our model, yes, to match people. And the mediator makes sure that these questions get asked. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then does the, 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 the answers to these questions, do those ideas go into some written agreement? Yeah, so we have the written uh, or we have the legal rental contract, which is, you know, this is how much rent is. This is the type of home pets allowed blah, 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 all of those things. And then we have house agreements. Uh, We talk about things like, what does it look like to have visitors over? Uh, What are the quiet hours? Um, Am I allowed to go downstairs into the basement? And all of those things that all of us who've had nightmarish roommate uh, situations wish we would have talked about beforehand. That's a very useful service. That makes the $600 start to look worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if you can afford it. That was Category 1. So that I was mean, Category what, 1. Category 2? Category 2 is a combination of rent and services. So these people are people who could use an extra four or $500 a month, but they're also having trouble with maybe it's transportation, maybe it's help with grocery shopping. And so they might ask for, can you take me to the doctors on Tuesdays? Um, and then I'll, I'll charge you $450. So th- those rents average about 400 to about 550. Um, and so you're going to have about zero to 10 hours a week of service in the, in that category too. So we call that our combination. That's where most of the homes are falling. You told us what Category 1 was. That's uh, about 20 hours a week in addition to some agreed-upon rent. And you told us what Category 2 is, Mm -hmm. which is about half that. Mm -hmm. So I can guess what Category 3 is, but I'm going to ask you to tell (laughs) tell us. Category 3 is people who are really struggling financially. They need the rent, um, you know, the rent money. And so we're seeing about $500 to $600, uh, sometimes $650. They're asking. They're not really asking for any service. They're pretty independent. But that financial piece is what's going to make or break them staying in their home. Is the arrangement you typically... Typically that um, the renter uses the kitchen and the, um, say uh, shares a bathroom and can watch the TV or how does the rest of the house besides the, the room, mm-hmm. how does that work? A home share is exactly what it's, what it's 
you know, called a home share. So you're entering this agreement knowing that you're paying for your room. That's your private space. Um, you may or may not have a private bathroom. Um, and most of our clients know that, you know, if there is a private bathroom, the rent is probably going to be a bit higher. So most homes don't have a private bathroom, but the rest of the home is often uh, shared unless there is a space that the homeowner, you know, says it's off, is off limits. But you're welcome to use the kitchen, living area, sometimes the backyard. Those are all communal areas. One of the things we're interested in in the series is the idea of older folks sharing homes with younger people. Mm -hmm. Do you find that part of your clientele is in, is working with that arrangement? You know, I would say that our home providers are interested in having that arrangement. You know, they we have people who miss having children or somebody younger in the house, and um, they would love to enter that arrangement. We actually just made a match where that is their arrangement. We have an older adult living with a student. Um, and so that, you know, was something that they both desired, um, and we were able to create that match. Do you have to work closely with the city or with any other organizations or do people need approvals when they do this? So we do have partnerships with cities and counties. So we are working in City of Portland, Clackamas County, and Washington County. We have funding from those three municipalities um, in an official setting. We also have private funding from different foundations that allow us to work in the areas that aren't covered by specific city or county funding. We're not building anything from scratch. It's, it's here. It's here, but how long does it take to get through the process? Suppose I called you today and I needed a place by uh, April 1st. Could, you do, could we do that? That is probably the top question we get. How long does this take? It depends on what you're looking for. It depends on how much you can pay. If you tell me that you can only be, you know, in the Hollywood district and you can only pay $300 and you have three dogs and, you know, you have a daughter that you're going to want to live with, I need a garage, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. So all of those things are factors in helping us find housing for you. So I always tell people, have your negotiables and have your non-negotiables. We all have things that we can't live without, and that's okay. We should be able to have those things and really try to, to, to get those. Do you have any interesting success stories you could tell us? Um... There have been people who, the, in the matches that we've made, they almost just lost hope. You know, the, I get calls from 70, 80-year-olds who are living in their cars, and, you know, they're facing homelessness, and they don't know where to turn because we just don't have enough options. And so in those matches that have been made, I've been able to hear them say, thank you. Thank you. I thought I was going to be living in my car. Thank you. I get to use a kitchen. I love to cook. We can be reached at metrohomeshare.org. The home seeker and home provider applications are online. Our biggest need for our program um, are home providers. We are constantly getting calls for home seekers. Everyone is looking for a place to live. Um, we do little to no outreach for home seekers. But the home providers, people willing to open up their homes is what we need. I acknowledge that there's a fear aspect there of having somebody you don't know in your home. I acknowledge that opening your home is a big ask. Um, but it could be the difference between keeping your home. It could be something that you're thinking about for long-term planning of what housing looks like as you age. It could be something we think about the Golden Girls and having this amazing community of people who live in, in one house and kind of contribute to one another's lives 
lives. And so these are things that we can build through Metro Home Share and through home sharing in general. You heard it here. This is a great opportunity to decide whether or not this might be the program to give you an extra 500 bucks a month. Pauline, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tom. In the next episode, we'll be talking with Mike Waters, Director of Health Promotion at Timber Hill Athletic Club. Mike works on healthy aging and speaks on the subject around the state. You'll hear about the business of fitness for the elderly and exercise as medicine. We'll also learn about the city's recreation programs for the elderly from Park and Rec staffer Lauren Hunter. Don't miss it. You've been listening to our series on Aging in Portland, Retired or Rewired. You can listen to any episode in this series or the entire series if you go to kboo.fm and look for the show under my name, Tom Flynn. Thanks for joining us today.